The World Health Organization says Gaza is in an imminent public health catastrophe. Well, let's get more now on the situation on the ground in Gaza. We've been speaking to our correspondent, Rushdie Abu Alouf. Last night there was like a little pause uh, of airstrikes here in Khan Yunis, but this morning about four airstrikes in different uh, areas uh, resumed. And uh, we have to remember that this area is considered safe area, but Israel uh, keep targeting uh, uh, places here in the south where about uh, two-thirds of the population now moved. Uh, uh, from the north into the uh, uh, into the uh, south, but the main focus of the Israeli operation is in Gaza City. And last night it was intensified in the northwest of Gaza Strip. It's a, a place called Beit Lahia. It's near the uh, coastal and near the Israeli border in the north. There was very heavy fighting in the area. Very few people who are still having. Uh, are able to communicate. We're talking to local radios. We managed to talk to someone in Jabalia camp close to the to the area, and he he was uh, uh, talking about how serious the airstrikes there and how massive the explosions in the area. They said the uh, dust and the smoke were making a real issue for the uh, civilians who are still living in the area. We are talking about 700,000 people are still in the uh, operation uh, area in the uh, place where Israel has been bombing day and night in, in, uh, in that. Also in Gaza City, Anna, there was also another couple of strikes around the uh, Al-Quds hospital. It's the hospital that Israel keep insisting and calling the director to leave. He said it's impossible because about 14,000 people are taking the hospital as shelter and about 100 patients are being treated. Eight, eight or ten of them were connected to the life-saving machines. We are getting report today about another 30 trucks are heading back to uh, uh, Gaza from the Egyptian side. They said the process is very slow. The UN, the largest aid agency, is also struggling to find trucks and fuel to move the uh, uh, food and medicine that Egypt has been sending into Gaza. Uh, a large uh, amount of uh, aid are on the ground between the two crossings and the, they, they said the, 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 the operation is very slow and it needs to be more sufficient to allow more, more uh, trucks into uh, Gaza. What we have got so far is 150 trucks in the last 10 days and what we need according to the UN is 100 trucks, a minimum of 100 trucks every day. Uh, that is Rushdie Abouloof, our correspondent, who uh, is, as always, reporting for us from inside Gaza, one of the few correspondents in international media who is able to report from inside Gaza. Well, the U.S. says it's optimistic the number of aid trucks entering Gaza will soon increase to around 100 a day. They're likely to come through the Rafah border, crossing with Egypt. Uh, you can see it there at the bottom of that map. Well, Rafah is, uh, as, you, as I said a second ago, on the far left of this map of Gaza. Uh, well, let's cross live now to Cairo in Egypt, where aid organisations are poised to help uh, there. We can talk uh, to one of them, Global Empowerment Mission, uh, who've been delivering aid uh, to the area. Michael Caponi, the founder, joins me now. Michael, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us here on the BBC. Thank Just tell me exactly uh, what is there and uh, what part it has to play in the aid to Gaza. Yeah, so we've been responding to both sides of this absolute catastrophe. And uh, right now what we're doing is setting up long-term infrastructure uh, on the road from Cairo to El Rafa. And we set up uh, warehouses and we are amassing food from all our partners and supplies, medical supplies, all throughout the world. And then what's going to happen is, as you said earlier, 
it looks like there'll be a much uh, better flow by next week. It's absolutely needed that there's minimum 100 trucks that could go in, you know, per day with the situation. So what we're doing here is just amassing everything, preparing everything, sorting, packing, and then our logistics team, along with, you know, the help of all the different clusters that we're involved with, the UN is involved, all the different agencies. Um, we have partners on the ground inside uh, Gaza that have been working there for over a decade. They're incredible, Anira. And the mechanism is to get it directly into their hands without it, you know, having any issues, right? So show me, show me a little bit of what's behind you. Show me a little bit of what's in that warehouse, Michael. Yeah. So right now there's just, uh, you can see, there's just four trucks that have arrived so far. This is, you know, this is all brand new operation. Uh, by next week, there'll be racks up here. This warehouse will be filled. And, uh, you know, we, we respond in Ukraine. We send about 300 full-size semi-trucks to the front lines of Ukraine every single month with Howard G. Buffett. So, you know, we're very experienced in this and in frontline work. Yes. And you just have to build up the systems to be able to do this. This is a really long-term thing. This is, uh, even if the war was completely over tomorrow, the collateral damage that's done right now is going to be years and years of recovery. Michael, tell me a little bit about how you make sure that the aid that I see there gets into uh, the people's hands, uh, the people who need it the most. Yeah, so, you know, right now there's been a lot of, great forward communications between all three governments. And I think there's going to be a, a, a much more secure green corridor by next week that's going to be able to protect the aid. Um, so far, our partners have been distributing small amounts of aid uh, that they've been purchasing with funds from GEM locally. Believe it or not, there's still farms that are producing food out there. And that's what's been happening. And they haven't had any issues so far. But, you know, this is every single international aid organization that we are in communications with has never seen something like this. I mean, that you have agencies that have lost 80 employees already in just two weeks. Michael, it's so good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed uh, for not only the work you do, but also taking the time out of what I know is a busy schedule to speak to us today on the BBC. Thanks again. Well, of course, uh, that is not the only aid agency working uh, towards helping Palestinians in Gaza. Let's cross live now and speak to Julie Megan, country manager at Christian Aid. Julie, good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. And what is Christian Aid doing uh, right now uh, to help with what's happening? Well, the very first thing that we're calling for is an immediate and permanent ceasefire, not a pause but a permanent ceasefire, because that is the only way to ensure safe and effective humanitarian delivery across the Gaza Strip. We work through local partner organisations, so we're not waiting for trucks to get in. We've been able to send um, grants to partners to be able to respond where they are, and those responses are working. Communities are themselves able to support themselves where possible. Now, that obviously relies on local markets functioning. And unfortunately, we are hearing more and more that supplies are dwindling. So even if we can transfer grants, people cannot um, get the supplies that they need. Some of the things that we've been doing are supporting medical relief outreach. So um, one of our organization, one of our partner organizations has been going to some of the most affected areas um, 
oftentimes without fuel for their vehicles, they will use uh, bicycles to get there and provide first aid and, and dressings um, for the injured. Um, we're also working with um, on shelter and providing safe, well spaces for people to come together um, in the south. But of course, um, you know, without a full and permanent ceasefire, there will be no proper humanitarian response there. And it is important as well to say at this point that the population of Gaza are overwhelmingly civilian. They're being punished for war crimes of their de facto authority, who they voted in in 2006, and who have they have not been allowed to have another election since. So the humanitarian need is absolutely colossal and we are doing everything we can to work with local partners on the ground. But the reality is that people are hungry, they are thirsty, they are afraid that they may starve, they do not have fuel and they do not have medical relief. We've heard harrowing reports of people being treated, children and adults being treated without anaesthetic, people in hospitals not able to clean bloody sheets, five children to a bed. You know, this we cannot overstate the humanitarian catastrophe that we're seeing here. And so there has to be an immediate ceasefire for humanitarian access to flow. Julie, let me ask you a little bit about fuel, because we know it's difficult to get fuel into Gaza. We know that fuel is key not only for driving people around, but, you know, much more importantly for things like hospital, uh, you know, equipment generators and vital equipment to desalinate uh, seawater. Uh, what parts uh, have Christine A played in this or what more can you tell us uh, via your local consultants about fuel and uh, how it's going to get into, the, into Gaza and how important it is? Not one drop of fuel has entered Gaza since the start of this. And as you say, you cannot separate fuel from food, from water and from medical relief. So we, uh, you know, partners are, are running out of fuel. We've had some amazing stories of real ingenuity. And this is where our community-based model really works because communities themselves have been able to somehow manage to get generators to work using gas canisters, for example. But of course, these do not last. But really, communities are finding whatever they possibly can to try and get um, the power that they need. Some, uh, you know, of the centres that we've been funding have solar panels, and so they've been able to circumvent the fuel okay. crisis that way. Okay. But also but they don't have electricity um, and okay. they don't have power. I'm so sorry, Julie, we have run out of time, but it's been really important to get Christine Aid onto the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you once again. Thank you.